There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 262nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Mike Leonard. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And today we are catching up with each other and we're catching up with Jemai Youssef. Some of our longtime listeners will remember Jemai. We actually met her at a Just Shoot It event right as she was starting film school. And now she's finishing film school. And we've been periodically checking in with her just to see what the perspective is from a new film student going into this world. You know, now obviously with COVID and all that stuff, it's probably not the most traditional film school experience but we talk to her and find out what a a film school graduate does once they're done with school yeah i think um that conversation is great as always and i think does a really good job of just illustrating the pathway i think oftentimes people enter film school with one set of ideas or aspirations about what sort of filmmaker they want to be or storyteller they want to be and i think it's very interesting that between her evolution as an artist and also partially inspired by i think the circumstances of of covid jemai's had kind of an interesting pivot into more animation more uh you know computer graphics oriented work stuff that she could lean into while she was under quarantine basically so yeah, it's a great conversation. We dig in, we talk about the nature of uh, graduating in this time, her internships, all of that sort of stuff. So Yeah, and after we talk to Jemai, we are just going to talk about some things we've been thinking about lately, about pitching projects uh, and finding out that there are very similar projects out there in the world. And then also, I just had a shoot and just had kind of some new revelations about working with actors, about finding a new style for a project. And uh, also about early call times, which I'm curious, like, you seem like the type of guy that would just be like, okay, 3 a.m. call time, no big deal. Where I would be like, 3 a.m., how am I going to wake up for this? How am I going to function? I I get, like, scared from those early call times. So um, we'll talk about that as well. But before we do either one, uh, we're going to remind you real quick that we do have a Patreon it's patreon.com slash just shoot it pod and it is a place where you can throw a few bucks our way per month and it just helps us pay our editors pay for our web space or whatever you call it our pod 
cast space and it's just super helpful to us and it makes us feel like we should keep doing this and if you give us 10 bucks even just for one month then we will send you a just shoot it podcast hat and uh, i'm telling you every set i've been on people have been like as soon as i put that hat on they're like oren where do you think we should put the camera like what do you think the actors should do really it's like a real power move um Mm -hmm. having that hat on Definitely. Have you ever had the embarrassing indignity of like when people are like kind of just getting to set and you haven't met certain crew members on the scout or anything, them being like, oh, what what, what do you do? What, what's your position? And you go, oh, I'm the director. And they're like, oh, dude, I've like had that halfway through the day, the, day, the production day, <laughs> the shoot I just did. Um, the kid like on day two asked me. I was standing next to the producer, Brian, and he goes, um, so who's the director on this? Are you the director? Or are you the director? Um, and then his well, mom's like, fair, I think they're both the directors. Oh, <laughs> that's like, really, that's brutal. Uh, burn. That's brutal. Well, yeah. you know, I think it just goes to show that there are a lot of people, especially even in the industry, who don't understand what our specific role is especially on a commercial versus a tv show versus a feature film they're kind of you know three different disciplines in a sense maybe your cool hat your just shoot it hat might give people a little bit of a clue into who the director is yeah i was not wearing that hat when that kid asked and he's also you know he was a very young child and uh, the producer had a lot of thoughts on a lot of things so you know i could see why maybe some people might think he was helping direct because I was very open to his feedback uh, because that's the type of director I am. I uh, just well, get walked all over all the time. <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll no, dig we, in on kind of teamed up. We'll dig on that topic actually, uh, as well as uh, working with actors in general and a handful of other things. As soon as you go to Patreon.com/slash/JustShootItPod, sign up for a, a small monthly donation, and then we talk with our old pal Jemai. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hi, uh, how's it going? Hi, Jemai. Hello. It's, it's crazy. We started, I think we met you before you started college. When you were in seventh grade, and now you are uh, about to finish your PhD. <laughs> well, maybe not quite that long, but I did definitely listen to the podcast before I came out to Los Angeles, and now I'm about to graduate. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, wow. So you you are finishing up your third year at USC Film School, grad school, and the last year has been basically in the time of COVID, right? You've you've been yes isolated you know you're just in your apartment with your roommates but still attending school full-time correct yes i'm still attending school full-time so it's you know it's zoom university everything is over zoom all the classes are over zoom we weren't able to do a lot of physical in-person production you know because of covid and basically because of la county rules itself you know i'm sure the university would have loved for us to be able to know go on campus and stuff like that but we have to follow the rules but this semester i have been filming remotely over zoom for a tv class so i directed an episode of the single camera drama series that's what the class is called so that was quite an experience (laughs) wait what sorry can how does that work who is there a crew Yeah. So it's a really big class. It's one of the capstone classes, like kind of like a thesis class, but it's TV. So in pre-COVID times, you know, they build a really awesome set on one of our stages and, you know, just lives there for the semester, basically. And yeah, we have all of the different crew positions and it's undergrad and graduate students. So it's a pretty big class. And there's different directors for each episode. And we really try to follow, you know, what happens in the real TV world. So we this semester, we tried to do all of that, but over Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to dig in on, on your approach with that. Were there any student crew members on set with the actors or are actors kind of operating a a quote unquote camera, whether that's a laptop or a phone or something themselves. Yeah. So we, for the class, we had four 
iPhone 11 Pros, I believe, and we sent them to the actors. We actually had a pretty decently sized cast um, and they use the Filmic Pro app, if you know, of like tangerine fame and all of that. We actually also use some moment lenses as well for the iPhone. Just and... look out, just you know, <laughs> YouTube tutorials like crazy. Uh, right, <laughs> right. So we sent them to all the actors. We had to cast the actors' homes as our locations. And actually, one cool thing too was we sent over some hive lights that our DP students were able to control remotely so they could, you know, control the color temperature and intensity and stuff like that as well. So we tried to find some ways where we could help them and kind of take some things off their end. But yeah, they had to mic themselves up too with instructions from our sound guy. <laughs> so yeah, they did a lot. They had to take on a lot on their own. Yeah, so fascinating. And I, I mean, in a funny way, very similar to what I think a lot of productions were doing, especially at the height of the pandemic. I think now, you know, people are back on set and all of that. But like studio shows are, are spending an arm and a leg to keep everybody safe. But I think especially commercially, Oren and I had a lot of conversations about like drop kits and casting and like you know, oh, do we know anyone who lives with the cinematographer? You know, that was like that was like the first two months of COVID, I think. Yeah. And I think that passed quite quickly. There's some really nice spots Thank came goodness. out of it. Yeah. 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 That's true. There, there's some great stuff. I, I in particular, am not built for that. I'm happy <laughs> to be back on set. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about your future. How do you feel having um, nearly completed USC film school? You know, it's. It's been a very, very interesting experience. You know, unfortunately, I feel like COVID kind of changed everything, you know, so definitely my my three year plan didn't necessarily pan out because it didn't plan for a pandemic. But even so, I've learned so much and you know, I gained a whole new skill in animation that I never would have planned for and stuff like that. I have a the Alienware PC next to me now. <laughs> it's yeah. a very, very new thing. Um, PC is in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I definitely still think everything was worth it, even though we had a global pandemic. Um, but I am glad to be graduating. I definitely feel ready to go out into the real world um, and also hopefully get on sets <laughs> eventually, you know. But yeah, I mean, so right now I'm actually in talks with, you know, certain employers potentially and jobs and kind of like doing interviews and stuff like that, which was all all things that kind of just fell into my lap, I feel like. So I guess my piece of advice is, you know, do your internships because that, that's where your job opportunities will come from for sure. sure. To be fair, <laughs> to be fair, that's like, that's not falling into your lap, Jemai. That's you applying to one of the most prestigious film schools in the world and then using that opportunity to leverage that into great internships and then doing good work at those internships and then them being like hey maybe we should hire this person or recommend them that's not falling okay, definitely that's, that's definitely <laughs> fair <laughs> wait can you remind us what the what the internships were well so throughout my time at usc i've interned at heyday which is the harry potter people uh shernan entertainment uh you know peter shernan Big Shop, Planet of the Apes, all of that kind of stuff. And my most recent internship was Legendary Entertainment, 
which was a really good fit for me just because they do all the nerdy stuff that I like to do. So, and I will say, you know, because... Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. I feel like people tell students, you know, to do internships and give that advice. But I will say, I feel like you need to do more than one because my first internship, I definitely wasn't as, you know, open and it wasn't as good as networking and things like that. It really took until my third one before I felt comfortable, like actually trying to reach out to people and set up like general meetings with them. So, well, yeah. and, and there's also, you know, there's a lot of different questions the same way that like getting a job sometimes can be challenging. Like, are you the right cultural fit? You know, like, do you like the things that they're making? Do you like the people that work there? You know, do you click with them? you know, that's, that's hard to guarantee the first time out of the gate, right? Like, especially when you maybe don't have a ton of experience in a corporate environment. Like, I, you know, I joke about it, but it took me a long time to figure out, like, the the nuances of, you know, how Hollywood people interact with one another, you know, because I think most people don't grow up in Hollywood, right? Yeah, you're always yelling action at each other. Mm-hmm. Okay, ready? You want to say something to me? And yeah, action. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I've had some internships and I've tried to figure out I've also been on the other side and tried to figure out how to use interns, you know, and it's really hard. Like you do need someone dedicated with a plan that has, you know, a lot of companies are like, we have so much extra like tasks to do. Let's bring some interns in and you don't really know what to do with them and how to make it worth their their time. So I think for that reason, also, I'm sure some companies have amazing internship programs. My first internship at Village Roadshow Pictures was like so good. They had this a person that was dedicated to running the internship program. But I've had interns at other companies where we basically just tell them to leave because we feel <laughs> bad for, you know, it's like if you come in and you're just like Xeroxing things all day or like making runs, that's like more of a PA, not an intern. And like, why even do that internship? So I do think that the Zoom internship was actually ended up being better than I had thought because my internship with Legendary was totally over Zoom. And at Shernan, it kind of halfway, it turned into a Zoom internship. But it was just really cool because, you know, I was allowed to be in 
meetings, kind of like a fly on the wall in a way that was less obstructive because I'm just another Zoom box, you know what I mean? Something that I don't know if I would have done in real life because there would be a human in the room with you. That sure. might be a little weird. Well, and, you know, not to, to go too much into the, the intricacies of it, but, but it's like when everyone's walking into a room, you know, you're walking into like oftentimes like a, a big round table. And you're an intern, you're like, okay, I want to like know my place and not like butt in or anything like that. Like, where do I sit relative to everybody else was a question that I always had to ask myself or like, you know, early on it, you learn like, oh, you, you, you know, when everyone's introducing you say, hey, I'm an intern, I'm just going to be kind of hanging out and sitting in so that you kind of explain why you're not speaking up a ton, right? Like you don't <laughs> yeah. want someone to leave that meeting and be like, boy, Jim, I really didn't. She really yeah, didn't. She like hated my I, pitch. She didn't, yeah. she didn't say a single I guess thing. We're not selling this. Yeah, <laughs> it's all know. relies on the intern. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is. I mean, now that I think about it, like, can you imagine, Matt? Like, if we got to sit in on a Zoom when someone is like pitching, you know, this the next big movie, and we just get to listen and hear them interact. Like, how valuable a learning experience would that be to just see how people talk to each other? Because that, to me, that's like the biggest skill in Hollywood is is learning how to convince people to be excited about your ideas you know and you could see that in a zoom call yeah for sure and I do hope some remote internships still exist post COVID because you know we also got people who aren't in LA which I know as somebody who came from Massachusetts that was so difficult to try to like do an internship yeah yeah what were you working on like at legendary Godzilla I was a tv development intern so, you know, kind of the typical reading, writing coverage. And I also took the time to meet with pretty much every single person in that department, just as a, you know, set up a Zoom meeting with them and people from other departments. And Legendary has a great intern program where they do like meet and greets every week with people from throughout the company. We even met the CEO and stuff like that. So that was really cool. That's awesome. Do you feel like you could you're in a position now where if you had a project that might be right for legendary that you can bring it to them? Um, I don't know. I think in terms of like, if I found a book or something that I know the people that I work with might be interested in, like I wouldn't have a problem just emailing them that. And I did connect, like I basically had a mentor there who was my boss who no longer works at legendary, but she and I talk and I feel She's been really helpful just, you know, giving advice for my future as well, too. So I do feel like I made like some lasting connections from that. Yeah, I, I might, might jump in here and say like, because Jemai, when, when Oren asked that, you kind of made a funny face. I think that the, the, the real gift that internships give you is the insight of knowing when you'll be competitive and ready to bring that project to people you have strong relationships with, right? So like, I think sometimes in film school, you come out and you're like, I've got my magnum opus. I'm a genius. Let's go. I'm selling this to, to legendary. And that may be true. You know, that may be true. But most of the time you need to like, get your feet underneath you a little bit more and like crew around a little bit, maybe put together something that really would be competitive in that world. And you've seen what it takes to sell a TV show now. And so that's the thing where you'll know when you're ready and you'll have connections when the time is right, basically, even if that takes, you know, a little bit of time, basically. Yeah. We've actually had like several 
people on the show that were assistants. Like we had Morgan Damrith, that was J.J. Abrams' assistant. And she she made a movie and he didn't, it wasn't like with Bad Robot or anything. But I think, you know, they kind of helped guide her a little bit. I, I remember when I first moved to L.A., a friend of mine, his brother-in-law was an agent at CAA. And I was like, ooh, that's it. We're hooked. We're set up. You know, let's just have your brother-in-law like take us around town, introduce us to people, get us work. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll set up a meeting and we go meet with him. And he's like, I can do nothing for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Come back in 10 years. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, there's the two parts. There's making the connections and then there's like being ready for them, which but it sounds like you're well on your way to both of those things. I'm curious what um, what kind of an advice your that woman that was mentoring you gave you in terms of your future. Well, one thing which I haven't done yet, but she said I should make a list of everybody I want to meet. And I was like, how do I even come up with that list? And she was like, oh, you know, start with your favorite movies and TV shows and just make a list of, you know, writers, directors, everyone you want to meet. And then, you know, I can go to my connections like her or other people and see if anybody has any sort of in like with that person's assistant or something like that. And I was like, I don't know why I never thought of that. <laughs> You know sure. I mean? so. I, that, to be fair, that's because that sounds crazy to be like, oh, I idolize this filmmaker. Maybe I could meet them someday. Like that, it. So much of Hollywood is like making these people into these larger than life figures where they're geniuses and they don't have any time and all of that stuff. Instead of realizing, oh, they're just some person in a bungalow or on the studio lot. You know what I mean? And so I think mentorship, is, some of it is just kind of breaking down like, oh, this is how you build connections and let me introduce you to the right people, basically. I've actually never heard that advice and it seems pretty genius to me. Have, have you heard that before, Matt? Uh, yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, I think we've, we've talked about versions of that for sure. Yeah, um, like not, but never that straightforward. There's sometimes like, oh, I want a, a new agent. Maybe I'll find the person who is whose work I like, then I want to do work like them and find out who their agent is and see if I can get a connect. But like, just make a list like, hey, I love these shows. Who directed this episode? Maybe I can meet with them. Or I mean, I, did did she specify like what type of people? Because it seems at least for like writer, writer, director, creative type people like you, it would be helpful to meet with like producers, I, I think. Well, I mean, yeah, for sure. But also she was kind of pushing that I should try to be like a director's assistant or something like that as well. So, you know, I think in that case, just meeting like writers and directors <laughs> will probably be a good that. Yeah. I mean, at this point in your career, there's no reason to limit who you want to meet. Right. It's just like, oh, if you're a fan of these people, you know, who knows what sort of opportunities will arise, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm assuming Matt and I were on your list, so congrats. <laughs> yeah, check. Well, that was on my list like three years ago. <laughs> Great. Yeah. We're old we're news. Very, very hard to meet us. Yeah. Um, just have to show up to a Just Shoot It Live event. There you go. Well, we just have to host one soon, right? Yeah. That's cool. So what's so? do you have any other things lined up? Like, I, I think... I think of film school, you know, I didn't go to film school, but one of the biggest advantages we always talk about is building your network of people. And ideally, right when you get out of film school, you start making things with those people. Is, do you have any plans for things like that? Or has COVID kind of changed all of that? Yeah, I definitely would say that COVID has kind of changed all of that. I mean, you know, I'm not going to graduate with a thesis film that I'm going to submit to film festivals or anything like that, um, which... 
you know, I've had to think about and be like, wow, did I really come to film school and don't have a thesis film? <laughs> but you're definitely right that I have connections with people who are making stuff, even people who graduated like last semester, I see them making music videos and, you know, kind of starting their own. They'll hang companies. out for a while. They'll be yeah. around. For, you'll be like, didn't you graduate three years ago? <laughs> yeah, no, they're still here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, so I, I mean, I would love to make more stuff too outside of school now or, you know, after I graduate. And I do have like a couple of projects that I've submitted, you know, grant applications for and stuff like that. But yeah, the biggest thing for me is just getting funding and money because I'm not independently wealthy. So <laughs> that would be really helpful for making a film. No, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I, I think also the other thing, you know, you were alluding to like some people just kind of jump into it and they start their own production company and they're shooting all the time and all that stuff. I think there's that camp. And then there's also the camp that it sounds like maybe you're at least dabbling in of like development corporate like that side of the studio side basically they're valuable in different ways and i think it's kind of just like what your interests and skills guide you towards you know and then no matter what whether you're a development executive for a few years or you start an independent production company there will come that time where you have to decide like oh do i do i want to make movies or tv shows like, do I want to be a writer director or am I happier doing these other things? Have I found a different passion? Because I think everyone kind of starts off thinking like, oh, I want to be a director. Um, but we all learn how nuanced and complicated that job is. And maybe you don't actually want it after all. Do you know what I mean? But like that, you have a good number of years before you really have to cross that threshold and say like okay it's do or die time you know yes for sure and also because of this whole animation thing as well i've been looking into basically freelance opportunities with that too so that's kind of another avenue i guess yeah so ultimately it was a good experience though i feel like you went to film school at kind of the perfect time right? did i i'm so curious <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would recommend, well, I mean, to be fair, I don't know if I would recommend people to start film school during COVID. Yeah. It, it, I think maybe second year is probably the the easiest in terms of COVID, right? Because like you you don't feel like you're missing out on, on the onset experience that the third year tends to, to give you, right? Like you're lucky in that like you have interests that pivoted very easily, you know? If you were like just a pure cinematographer... In your third year, it would be a bummer, right? Right, for sure. I, I mean, like, well, A, you, during COVID, like, imagine if you graduate from film school and COVID just starts, you know, then you really have no work I wonder all. if maybe that's a little bit easier, honestly. Ha having graduated during the writer's strike and then the crash of 2008, like, at least you're not spending... I don't know, $45,000, $50,000 on an education. Do you know what I mean? Like that it can be tricky in terms of like where you are in your life. Like at least when you're graduating, you know, you're going to be broke for a little while. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like a harder or an easier thing to take. Yeah. But I guess I just kind of feel like now you're, you're coming out, you have this new skill animation that you didn't make mm -hmm. the thesis film, but it's not like USC pays for a thesis film. It's right. like you, that is right? true. You have to find that also, money anyway. Unless it's exceptional, unless you're winning 
a student academy award or like a major festival people aren't especially excited about your thesis film oh and i don't remember what we talked about the last time but i did produce a film that did win a student academy award there you go so wait which one next did you tell us about that I, I don't remember, but I produced a an well, I produced two animated films from the animation students. And um one of them was a live action animation hybrid called Simulacra. Uh and that won a Student Academy Award for in the alternative experimental category. Yeah, there you go. So nice. there's that. <laughs> but you know, yeah. as the producer, not as a director, so sure. You, know. <laughs> you still got a statue laying around there somewhere, right, Jemai? Uh, if I get a, if you know, if I go out and buy one for myself, maybe. <laughs> Do it, <laughs> Hollywood toys. Do it. Yeah. yeah. No, but it's obviously yeah. worth mentioning when you have all your meetings with uh, yeah, yeah. these various power people well cool we're excited we want to we yeah we're, we can't wait to see what you do next what project you make and where you work and yeah when when do you think you'll decide on one of these job offers um any day now you know just <laughs> hoping that you know it, it is a little interesting because i haven't graduated yet so there is that kind of weird waiting period where it's like do i start looking for jobs right now or do I wait till after I graduate um and and in terms of projects I I do think last time I talked about I was working on an animated music video or I was planning to work on an animated music video so that is pretty much finished so hopefully that will come out maybe I don't know a few weeks or so and that was made in Unreal which is very cool uh the song is called Caught in the Middle by India and the Joneses so Maybe by the time this episode comes out, who knows? Maybe it'll be out there. <laughs> but yeah, that's my most recent project. That's awesome. Well, send it to us when it's done. We will tweet about it and post about it. Um, but cool. Well, thanks so much. We're uh, yeah, and we we're will excited continue, to go on the journey with you. We'll continue to keep in touch. I think people will be curious to know what it's like. You know, having recently graduated film school, I think it's worth it to kind of continue on keeping tabs right knowing yeah. what's up yeah kind of jumping into the industry full, yeah full time it's crazy <laughs> it's not scary at all yeah <laughs> it's, for sure. it's gonna be fine Jemaine. you're gonna be you're already doing great so i i i appreciate that you know tell that to my parents <laughs> you know I, I, yeah, happily yeah. I'll, I, you want me i can write a letter doing wonderfully yeah this this podcast is like the anti-parent you know like when your parent tells you there's no chance you'll make it in this business just listen to us and we'll give you an example of someone that does make it i definitely send them each episode when i feature on it so they will hear all of this all right you you are genuinely doing great sounds like everything's going awesome but also for both you and your parents i'll say uh start looking for a job now and it is okay if it takes a while because it always takes a while. And also, like, hiring is really tricky right now. Like, studios don't know what's going on. They're trying to, like, the models are changing in terms of, like, how they're tabulating money and success and all that stuff. So, like, it always will take, like, you know, a handful of months before you find something that really clicks in for you. So don't stress about it, I guess is what I'm saying. You're giving me that advice, right? Because I am... Yes. I'm looking for a gig. Um... (laughs) Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jemai. We'll talk again soon. Okay, Jemai Yusuf. Thank you for enlightening us with your experiences. 
Now we're going to talk about our own. Yeah, let me let me ask you. At this point, we've talked to Jemai for a couple years now, three years now almost. Do you wish that you had gone to film school more or less after all of these conversations? It's an interesting question. I obviously have no interest in being, uh, in, in having gained this huge debt for graduate school from a financial point of view, but I do see that just this network that people are building and how passionate the other people you're with are about what you do, uh, you know, about filmmaking. I, I do feel like I wish I had that. And I did, you know, kind of find my people when I first moved to LA, but a lot of them aren't here anymore and aren't in LA anymore. And I think if I was at film school where I was just in a much larger pool of people, my network would just kind of be a little bit bigger now. Like even you, you know, I see you like, you're like, oh yeah, this head of development at this network is a friend of mine from film school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think I you probably met maybe all of them, but also plenty of, plenty of them are just like lawyers or something now. Uh, remember also, I went to undergrad. And so like the likelihood that a teenager is like, I know exactly what my major is. I know exactly what I want my career path to be. I know what city I want to live in. And for them, for that to stay consistent for, you know, at this point, 20 years, um, you know, it's pretty unlikely. So, yeah, I do feel like it's really right for Jemai, though. I feel like she's thriving and she like one of the cool things about her experience there, as opposed to more of like the graduate schools that I was looking at, like the AFIs and stuff, is that it seems like she's doing a lot of different things. Like she'll DP a project, she'll do art for a project. Obviously, she's writing and directing as well, but I find that kind of cool. And I've actually been seeing this kind of trend in commercial filmmaking that I I think it's a new trend, but maybe it's been around forever. But this director DP combo seems to be becoming a huge plus for people. And you're saying a person who who shoots their own spots is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's always been the case. It's just that that's not. It's not common in comedy, basically. That like, if you're doing lifestyle, if you're doing something where the photography is more front and center, then I think that a, a director DP combo is is much more common. You know? Yeah, I do think because beautiful cameras are so accessible to normal people nowadays, just a lot more people are good at cinematography and good at looking at the light and good at capturing moments and camera movement and all these things that our phones have kind of allowed us to practice with. And I love having a DP, but I do wonder if like on some really small jobs, I want to try to revisit shooting some things myself as well. Because Shoulder up, bro. Yeah. Yeah, my shoulder. My shoulder's been been floating. I've, I've grown too much. I'm grown like two inches mm-hmm. a year at this point. I need to put something heavy on yeah, my yeah. shoulder. We Slow just, me down. We just need to collapse your spine. Just like compress it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Well, uh, keep me posted on that stuff. I think um, I think there's something true and valid to that. We off the mic. We've had a lot of conversations about um, editing our own work, especially in commercials, as a as a way to maintain control and also to make yourself a little bit more appealing, which is interesting. Um, but I I think I last night had a dream about being the DP on a project. I've had a lot of very vivid dreams lately. Oh, the the we're still pretty locked down so like i think the thing of like people having all those like vivid covid dreams i'm still in it 
I'm like having crazy dreams every night. Yeah, man. COVID's over. You got to come out. I mean, I know. I was thinking about how like post-apocalyptic this whole thing is. Like the we survived, we made it to the end without ever getting COVID, and now we're coming out into the sunlight. Um, it's like an interesting sci-fi premise, you know. And yeah, it's like you have you ever seen those like internet videos of like animals that have like been in captivity and have like never seen the sunlight, and then like you know people open up the barn doors and they come out and they're like, "What is going on?" That's how I feel. Yeah. You you don't know how to walk anymore. You've just been, yeah, you yeah. just crawl out onto the sidewalk. Well, I, I don't know how to be around people anymore. That's for sure. Yeah. What do you say? Hello? Hey, what's up? I don't remember. Yeah. The other day I shook someone's hand and it was like, did you really weird? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. We were both, uh, you know, had that, had the shots and, uh, yeah. I was like, I guess, I guess we can do this. I kind of just did it. And then yeah. I was like, I think there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah, we could talk about that stuff all day. But uh, we do have a couple other topics to talk about. First of all, you know, we were talking to some pals about how they had been developing a project pretty avidly. They had a great looking deck. Things were going well. They were taking meetings on it. And then in the trades, a very similar perhaps in premise mostly not in tone project was announced for like a major network basically uh and it got us thinking and talking about what one does in that situation basically like say so kind of broadening it out into a more hypothetical situation or and you've talked about like you know being deterred sometimes when someone's like oh yeah there's a time travel movie that just was announced and you're you were halfway through a treatment on a time travel movie and you're like dang it what do i do i actually pitched a tv show that was a time travel show kind of a kind of a time travel show similar that that kind of idea and it it went pretty well you know we had a producer attached we had an agent attached we talked to some really great showrunners but that same year, there were four other time travel projects being pitched by way bigger people with like a, a longer track record. And, you know, a few of them, I think, were set up like shingle, you know, and with pods or whatever, like kind of some development places with studios. So studios were already spending money on them. So it's in their best interest to buy one of the shows that they develop for them. Yeah. So it just seemed... Like, even though I thought our pitch was good and I actually watched a couple of the shows that came out and I thought ours were was tonally and visually and premise wise were very different. I could see how it made our show just a much harder sell, you know, especially as I kind of think there's two types of shows. (laughs) This is me just saying this off the cuff, but I think there's like a real solid, you know, show from a an established showrunner, established writer, established cast, or maybe it's a remake of another show that was successful in another place. And, you know, the the premise of the show doesn't have to, like, blow you out of the water. Like, you think of a show, like, think of, like, Showtime's The Affair, right? It's like... Or, or The Office. Oh, yeah, or The a, Office. A, work, a workplace comedy. Yeah. Like, how um, many times I, have we the, seen that at that point, right? Yeah. The Office, I guess, I mean, it's... it's was so long ago, but yes, I mean, you're right about the office, but even, but I think mo- nowadays, even more so in the days of streaming and the days of 
just like so many different shows. If you're going for like a Dick Wolf show, like why not just do it with Dick Wolf, you know? So if you're pitching a show that's very similar to shows that exist, I think it's a really hard sell as a new filmmaker, a new writer, new new producers. Um, and so I think then that's the way you have to kind of come in from a different angle. You have cast and like a more the high maintenance or the broad city or the, you know, hot date, like Matt, the show Matt Pollock directed. Um, you come from a place where we've established this on the web and now we're bringing it, uh, you know, to TV, like Issa Rae's show. Or, you know, you just have to have something that, you know, we use the word undeniable, but something that is new and that people haven't seen before and that you've proven that you're the one that needs to do it. So with, with my experience... It was just really hard to, you know, to break out of the mold when you're pitching into a mold, you know. But I do think that feature films are different because what I had mentioned to you before is I had worked on a time travel movie and then a looper came out or something. <laughs> and I was like, ah, no more time travel movies. So I just gave up on it. And then like two years later, some other like amazing like time or time crimes or something like some other amazing time travel movie came out. And I was like, ah, if I would have just kept going you know, two years later would have been my time for my time travel movie. Right, right. So I I don't really like to discourage people from uh, similar things coming out. But with TV, I think it's very different than with features. Yeah, and look, I think there's a couple different topics that we're really talking about here. We're talking about how one develops, who one develops with, and then the timeline of a project, right? So like the, the feature angle, you're right, like it takes two or three years to get a feature out into the world. And so if you're reading an announcement or if you're seeing, you know, the trailer for a new movie or something like you just have to be thinking long term in that way. And and maybe that movie is such a huge colossal hit that it becomes the defining thing, you know, Uh, or if your premise is so close that like you can't the people would confuse the movies, which happens sometimes, then, you know, that's something we're thinking about but uh but then there's the nature of just selling a tv show right and kind of to your point it's uh, it's getting trickier to sell something that's completely untested you know like we both had conversations with people recently where like name brand show creators are getting passes right like so it feels like oh there's so much tv out there there's so like everybody's getting a show it's incredible but it's still a really hard nut to crack in terms of breaking in. And so you ha- you do have to stand out in some way, basically. So uh, I don't know. I think it's complicated. But it kind of brings up the other thing that I've wanted to talk to you about kind of for a while. And that's the nature of just developing things in general. And I think that because you and I are both, you know, in a sense, journeyman directors, we're both like people who work for hire a lot and are kind of, you know, pitch on different projects and things like that that self-generation was a part of our dna in the beginning of our careers and you know is we continue to both self-generate pretty regularly but that's not our bread and butter the way it used to be and i think that there's a different type of director producer who is spending their their quote-unquote day job time like in a pod or like having their own shingle, having their own production company where they're not worried about commercials or anything like that. They're, you know, licensing material, acquiring rights to things. They have a small team of people who were taking generals and putting shows together basically um, on a much more regular basis. 
And, you know, it's a thing that I think about. It's like it's a different mold than what we talk about or what we model on this show. But in a certain sense is more traditional, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just a bigger risk, bigger reward type of mentality. You know, I think my friends have a production company and they brought on a development exec for two years, I think, to just develop shows and take pitches and bring things. And they had relationships with agencies and production companies, like super legit big companies and agencies. And for two years, they tried to sell a TV show and they, you know, they ended up not selling anything. They came close, you know, they got a lot of amazing meetings, but they ended up not selling anything. And so at some point, it's hard to to keep doing that, you know, and also try to make a living. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. So, I mean, that's that's why there are first look deals, right? Like, that's why I think a lot of those companies are talent driven. You know, it's so-and-so has a hit show on a network and wants to start their own shingle. And so they get a, a deal and they're in a bungalow at Warner or something like that, you know shouldering and amortizing a lot of those costs that's why studio lots exist right it's because like you can put you can build a building and put you know 500 small teams in there and like seth rogan can smoke pot next to you know the building down the street from paul feig or from you know uh jip and jim parsons yeah 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 all those people everyone has those little companies right and so that they can kind of uh, do the legwork of generating material, but also it's inherently already attached to someone, right? So Jim Parsons is bringing Jim Parsons vehicles to Warner, for instance, you know? Yeah. I mean, you look at Margot Robbie, she's got like so many things going on right now, movies and shows. Sure. And Reese Witherspoon, documentaries. you know, uh, Jennifer Lopez, so, so many people like, you know, any any very famous person has a small team of people out there finding the best material for them. Yeah, so I guess what are you saying? Well, the, oh. but my, my main point is that like you can't put all of your eggs in one basket, essentially. Right. Like That's the thing. So, so when you're like, ah, I've spent five years developing this awesome TV show and it's the only thing I've got, and then surprise, oh, this other thing came out, it's a real heartbreaker. But if you've kind of built out a handful of things that are still... You know, some things are front burner, some things are back burner, but like you've got some great samples and you're ready to rock. That makes things a lot easier when, you know, you makes you more nimble basically as a, as a producer, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So diversify is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a tricky balance. I think you and I both have this challenge of you get obsessed about a thing, whether that's paid work or your passion project and that you get tunnel vision on it. Right. Yeah. And then it's hard it's to like do a good job if you're not obsessed. <laughs> yeah. So the real trick is uh, become so successful that you get a first look deal with one of these companies wherein they're subsidizing some of your overhead costs and you can start bringing in projects and uh, hire a team to help uh, be obsessed with multiple things at once. It's why you hear like all these horror stories of like new writers in Hollywood, like meeting with the producer and the producer saying, hey, I have I kind of want to do something about like, you know, animals in malls like can, will, can, will you take that idea and run with it and then they'll have a writer new writer like work make a treatment spend a few weeks on it and then send it back to the producer and the producer will be like cool yeah i don't think we're gonna do anything with that thanks so um it's because those producers are like you know trying to delegate all the like hard work to other people so that they can put as many eggs in the basket as they can yeah yeah it's a very fine line that we're all trying to walk 
Well, cool. Well, uh, good luck to us with our multiple projects. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, if you, uh, listeners at home, talk to us about that a little bit. I'd love to hear some feedback because I think that, uh, I'd love to hear some techniques on how people keep multiple things on the burner at once, not just writing, right? I think a lot of people are like, oh, I've got 32 great ideas and I'm so excited about all of them. Um, but you have to, they have to be ready. You have to, they have to be presentable, right? So how do you kind of keep a number of fresh ideas ready to go and, putting your feelers out to people as you move along. Yeah. I don't know. You hear like Jordan Peele, you know, when he was writing Get Out, supposedly he like stopped working on it for a few years because just wasn't feeling it. Starts on something else. And I think a lot of really successful people you hear about, like the Scott Frank, Queen's Gambit story, you know, how many years ago he started working on that and when it ended up selling. I think that's just the thing. Remember, if you if you put a press pause on a project, it doesn't mean it's gone forever. It just means... You have other things that you're more passionate about right now. So, yeah. 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 And it's that balance of like getting them ready, right? Like you can't, you can't be like, oh yeah, let me start writing that. I had this idea a while ago, you know, like they have to still be in some form. That doesn't mean they have to be a complete perfect draft. You know, I think the other thing that I'm constantly reminded of as I'm taking something out currently, it's like people are going to have notes, you know? Like when you take it to a production company or to a manager or an agent, whoever, like producer, whoever's going to help make you uh, help make this thing with you, they're going to have their thoughts, right? So like if you have a perfect draft and then you hand it to someone and they're like, uh, what if it was a this or a that? Or like, what if instead of time travel, it was, you know, aliens you know, it's a lot harder to be like, well, but this is perfect. I don't want to make that movie. And that doesn't mean that you should, you know, take every single note and completely contort your idea into somebody else's vision. But, but I guess what I'm saying is, is like, you should get things launched critical. You should get them ready. You should get them special. But once the thing that's special in your project is apparent, I think you can kind of start moving on to other things. Well, cool. Well, speaking of moving on to other things, hey, hey um, look at let's that. talk about our next topic. Which is something, I guess, you know, I just had this shoot. I just came back a couple days ago from Florida. And I had some interesting observations, just kind of things that thought might be fun to talk about, which have to do with working with actors. So the project I did, we cast a family. Um, it was kind of a last minute casting because of just a lot of things going on with the client and the agency and all sorts of things. And so you know, everyone kind of found out that they were going to be acting in this like one or two days before they had to be in Florida on location. Surprise. Get ready. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is, which is cool. Are, did they have to fly or, uh, were they, um, at least one, one of them flew and the other three were in Florida, but, um, two of them had to like drive far and stay in the hotel. And one of them lived close enough to not stay in the hotel, but it's a family. So like the idea is that they have been living each other with each other their whole lives, you know, the two kids um, and the parents and... Oh, so the kids are two from two different families as well? Yeah, everyone was yeah. totally unrelated yeah. in real life. And we were shooting, we're shooting seven different spots in two days with this family. And so it was a really tight schedule and we had to shoot a lot of things. And I 
kind of realized, you know, even just at the fitting where the actors are meeting each other for the first time and, you know, with COVID, they all have masks on and the kids, you know, they have their moms there and that just a lot of my job as a director, and I've always known this, it's always been a thing and I've had like kind of a variety of experiences with this in the past, but just really hit home that like my main job, especially at the fitting is to get these actors to like talk to each other and to like each other. And, you know, we've all, you know, heard the tips like, Oh, take your whole cast out bowling, you know, before the shoot or something. But (laughs) during COVID, you can't really do that. Um, And sometimes if on a remote shoot, that's just like not a feasible thing. You know, I, I didn't even have a car or anything on this shoot. So like, what's your, do you ever think about like the relationships between the actors that you've cast and how they're going to get along with each other, especially if there's like a romance or a family or some sort of like established, like bet these two are best friends, but they literally met 10 minutes uh, in the before the shoot. Yeah. How do you handle that? Yeah. I am. I I have kind of mixed feelings about it. Right. Because I think we're, there's, there's the fast short shoots, right? Like, your sketches, your commercials, your branded content pieces. And those are different, right? Because it's like the runtime is different. Everything is different, right? And so in a certain sense, and most importantly, the shoot time is different, right? So you need them to, in a in an instant, in a frame, for, for someone to recognize the familiarity that they have between one another, whether they're in love, whatever their relationship is, right? And that's really tricky because you know, oftentimes they're meeting maybe at the fitting, maybe on set for the first time, you know? So that's really complicated when you're on something longer, when you've got a a series or something like that, they can build a lot more rapport. To me, I, I guess there's a part of me and this comes directly from being married to an actor where I'm kind of like they're actors if I needed to, if I thought it was important for them to actually be in love with one another, then I should cast a real couple who is in love with one another. Like I, I believe that if they're good actors and I'm doing a, a job well, to a major extent, they can just they should be able to to act like they love one another. You know, that thing of like people doing sort of methody stuff like uh, pretending like I heard this like story out about Band of Brothers on Dead Eyes where like the guy who was new to Easy Company was supposed to feel ostracized and separate from like the rest of the the company. And so the showrunners told all of the actors to like be shitty to him on and off camera, basically. Like, don't sit with him at lunch, don't talk to him, don't make eye contact, all that stuff. And I think that that's, that stuff is valuable, I guess, but I, my faith is in the actor, basically. And that kind of presupposes that you have enough time to, like, do a couple takes and really get them there and, like, work with them beforehand and maybe even rehearse a little bit. And I know that that's a luxury that is often not afforded someone on like the way that we shoot now typically if budgets are lower or if it's indie or something like that yeah or if you're shooting like seven spots in a day right yeah it's like okay you have two you have two takes so like i you know that they could get there and you could get them there but like there's the compromise of just like well if i take the amount of time that i need to get this one scene right i'm not going to be able to shoot the six other ones i have to get this day you know yeah 
And yeah, with the feature, of course, it's easy. It's like, yeah, we're going to rent a house. Everyone's going to live in there. You know, you guys are best friends. We'll spend a week in there while we rehearse and get everyone acclimated and then we'll go shoot. Um, the commercial thing is like, I mean, they don't even know us, you know, like they don't know anyone on set when they arrive. So I guess there's like, I had, this is what I did for my shoot and I'm curious what you think and it, and it kind of (laughs) worked. So the lead actor who had the most dialogue and had to be like the most confident on camera and have the most charisma, the kind of anchor of the, the, this campaign, I basically reached out through our producer and I said, Hey, you know, when you get to Florida, can we meet up and just talk and have, you know, there's a, we like went and kind of, we didn't really have dinner, but we kind of had like some appetizers together and like kind of talked about the script. And I talked about the tone about the campaign, but we spent most of our time just talking about who we are and our backgrounds and our lives and like why we work in film and, and our experiences and our families. And my goal was really to kind of, as as funny as it sounds like try to be vulnerable with her so that she could feel like she could come to me with like any issues that she was having because that you know we t- we can tell that as directors a million times to the, to the actors like hey if you have any issues just let me know if you are uncomfortable with something just let me know but you're on set there's 50 people watching them and you're mm-hmm. you know an hour behind schedule you're glancing and you're like, at okay, your watch yeah. Yeah. yeah can you do yeah. that can you can, oh how about how about sing that song instead of saying it and you know and they happen to not like singing or it's like oh why don't you do that pose get on like get down like on one foot and then jump up and they're like oh i have a bad knee i can't do that you know like you so i want to kind of put them in a situation where they feel like we're kind of friends or we know things about mm-hmm. each other and they can yeah build, um, build a rapport me. and a little bit of trust yeah i think that that is great and is different than any sort of like like just getting to know one another and 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 leveling with one another in terms of like how things are going to work and the ways that you like to work together and just knowing a little bit about each other that's just i think that's a kind of slightly different thing than trying to create a environment on set wherein the relationships mimic the ones that should be on screen do you know what right, I mean? right yeah so that's why that was just step one of, of what i did because I, I kind of felt like everything would flow down from her because she's the lead. And so that was before the fitting. Then at the fitting, the dad actor, I you know asked him about his kids in front of the mom actors. I introduced them together. And I kind of did this thing that I guess I usually do like if I'm ever hosting a party at my house and I have two friends that don't know each other. I'll be like, oh, Matt, he's a director. And Faisal, he's a doctor at Children's Hospital. And you guys both like work right near, you know, Los Feliz or whatever. You know, Matt lives right by House of Pies and Faisal loves that restaurant. Like something like that. Like I'll try to kind of tee them up to have things to talk about in common. And then I'll kind of kind of try to then bring the kids in and try to, I'm trying to like facilitate conversations between them that are going to generally be positive. And I'm kind of like hanging out there to try to, to help those, you know. And like you said, there are some actors that, are really good at that, you know, but there are other actors that aren't like super social or that they kind of feel like I'm here for my job or they're nervous, you know, like, you know, I just want to make you guys happy and I'll just do whatever you you want me to do. And so like the other, the third thing I did is I had like this mini table read, which is a little weird because like the mom had like 95% of the dialogue. So I kind of felt a little bad for the rest of the cast, but I really wanted to, um, to be able to like, 
see the actors together and also just kind of tell them like what I expected of them because because it was a really long shoot and uh, we were going to move really fast. I kind of wanted to let them know like that they are a family. And if I'm not giving them like super specific direction on like what to do, like let's say they're in the background, that they should kind of find something in their character. Like like you mentioned the office earlier. Like, you know, if you are in the office in a scene where you're just in the background, hopefully the director doesn't need to come to you and tell you, oh, you're doing this on the computer and you move the mouse here and you take a sip here. Hopefully you already have like the character enough where you know what your job is and you know what you would be doing. Stanley loves coffee or doesn't like coffee or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, so, and I love that because I think that what you're doing is you're trying to set expectations for people and let them know that you care about what they are doing, even if you are not directly paying attention to them in that moment, because the pace of the shoot is going to be something that's really fast, you know, and that's both uh, generous as a, to the actors on a personal level and also you know how many times have we been in post and been like ah oh, i wish i'd seen that thing i would have told them to do this or that they're just standing there they don't even know you know and so giving them the agency to kind of run with things i think is really helpful you know uh, it, it's interesting kind of going back a step your point about some actors wanting to like be best friends and some people not you know i think that there's a big tricky thing with kids right kids you kind of have to it's a little bit of like just make believe for the whole day right you got everyone should just kind of stay in character just to kind of help these kids out where like they maybe don't have a complete grasp over what's happening in the in the grand scheme of things with adults um you know some people want to chat and joke around and bond and stuff and some people especially depending on what their scene is you know want to just quietly run lines or, or work on the scene together. Some people want to rehearse. Some people don't want to rehearse. Some people are, are quite method in not in the sense of like Daniel day Lewis peeing in the corner, but like, you know, just need to kind of take the time to like center themselves and like, you know, use whatever sense memories they're trying to pull from or whatever it is, just get into character. And that, that can be a private experience or that can be a really public one. And so I think to your point of like meeting with people early, getting a sense of what an actor needs and then helping reinforce the boundaries that they need to set up, I think is important as well. So that like, you know, if some person is just really chatty and you know that the other person really needs to take some time, you know, pulling them aside, I think is important. Like kind of running a little bit of interference could be a thing. Or, or if they're really shy and they're, you know, they do really want to kind of interact with people facilitating it, like you were saying before, you know, being the host of the party, but it's all different, you know? And I think in comedy in particular, oftentimes, you know, people feed off of laughter and that can be like being a generous laugher can be a thing that actors need. You know, I always joke that I'm a, that's funny guy or a, that's great. That's great. Okay. This time. You know, you almost throw it away. It's like, like people don't even hear it as a compliment, even if I mean it very genuinely, you know? So like just kind of being in tune with what someone needs to get them there, I think is part of it. Yeah. And I find with kids, I, kids are really challenging in many ways, but I do think that that is one way they are really good at it. From my experience is most kids are neither self-conscious nor judgmental which adults are and that is like where I find the challenge is like the actors you put two actors together they are immediately sizing each other up you know who has more experience who's got the better part who's 
this, you know, how did you get this part? Like, are you looking at me? Are you judging me? You know, and kids don't have that. So I find kids making a family out of kids is pretty easy, especially if you have uh, the, the parental actors have kids and they know how to talk to kids. But yeah, the adults are really the ones I have to like get to like each other because they are that you're just on alert. You know, anytime you meet someone that does the same thing you do, it's a little bit of a competition, unfortunately. And it's like trying to extract the competition and build the camaraderie. That's really hard to do in 20 minutes. Um, Sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where training comes in, right? Because I think there's a lot of circumstances where, you know, you have to play uh, in a romantic relationship with a person that you don't maybe especially care for. Right. And so going back to the thing of like sometimes actors needing to take a beat to get into the moment, it's really tricky because I think sometimes that can be performative unto itself. Sometimes it's like everyone be quiet. So-and-so needs a moment. And that I don't have a ton of patience for, but oh, I'll be in my trailer until you need me. I'm ready to go. But like, I'm just staying in the zone. I have complete respect for have you ever had, or some actors will do a thing where they'll like let out like a grunt mm-hmm. before they'll be like, okay, yeah, my wife does like, it. It's kind of a joke like, because and she action. started it in and an action be, class or I mean in an acting class. Yeah. Li- li- literally be like, okay, and, and action. <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah. What do you mean, Oren? It's so funny. You know, like it's really funny and, and can be a bit surprising sometimes. <laughs> yeah. especially like if they can project really well if they've got like a big lung capacity it's just like oh and you're like what but also like if that genuinely helps them you know like you can't be the turd who's like seriously dude like are you really gonna grunt every time but also like maybe that takes other people out of it so you kind of have to be aware of yeah i know a lot lot of actors a lot of dynamics you know yeah they do like push-ups or jumping jacks or something right before a scene to like kind of be in the moment already you know mm-hmm. already get their blood, blood up and flowing. stuff yeah yeah um yeah the last thing i'll say which is kind of related to what you said about the actors kind of taking some agency with their characters i had this shoot a little while ago where like uh i had an, an actor again doing something kind of backgroundy where i was like oh maybe you walk in and i don't know you have your backpack maybe you'll put it down on this desk do you think that makes sense or maybe maybe you would keep it on and move it around and put it down on this chair and the actor says to me I don't know, man, you're the director. Tell me what to do. I'm just like the silly actor, you know, doing whatever you want me to do. And I was like, I like pulled this actor aside and I said, listen, I, that, that's not how I see this relationship. Like we are like working on this together. Like, even though you're just kind of walking in, in the background and doing this thing, like, I would love for you to say like, oh yeah, this feels natural to me. Or this feels like I, like you are a character despite the fact that you're not saying anything in this scene right here. And I I think a lot of actors, you know, especially newer actors, if you're listening to this, like us as directors, we want you to have an opinion on what you're doing. Um, And we want you to feel natural, you know, about it. So, yeah, I think we've maybe even talked about it on the show, but sometimes I'll do a thing where I'll be like, let's just see how it falls off the truck. Like, just see how it lands, you know, where I'll kind of give people very vague blocking. This is in blocking rehearsal. But like very, very, like I'll be like, you start here and I need you to exit there. And in between, let's just see how it feels. And it's a very tricky thing to 
establish because what I'm trying to do is see where the actors naturally want to go and what they want to do. And then I augment from there. And it would be very easy for me to be like, okay, on this line, you need, I need to turn that line, sit down. Okay. You looked at You know, I could, I could mark it out very clearly, but that's to your point. I want to see where they're intuiting what they, what they naturally want to do first. And there is the, a funny balance of earning their trust of showing. It's not that I don't know what I want. It's that I want to see and be inspired by you first. And then maybe we find a happy medium between the two. Um, but yeah, I think but also like, I, we don't know what we want. Like, it's not that we don't know what yeah. we want. It's that we want it to feel real. And sometimes that it'll be best if it's coming from you. You could say, put the, the backpack down here and then walk away. But oftentimes actors are trained to be so fearful of the director that they would do that a hundred times, even if it felt weird. And then we would be like, why, why are they being so weird in this scene? I don't understand. And then because of that communication breakdown, people just never get past it sometimes, you know? And look, sometimes you're like, I need you to put the back da- backpack down here because you block their, their light. And so I know that it feels awkward, but like, this is why we need to do it that way, you know? But if you've built a little bit of trust with them in advance and shown them that you really care about their input in other ways and, you know, the circumstances are just a little different, uh, that goes a long way. But yeah, I love, I love your methods for trying to kind of uh, jumpstart that level of trust and rapport with your performers in a tight time crunch. Yeah. And the earlier you can do it, like the less time you have to spend on it on set, obviously the better. It's my, yeah. Yeah. My advice. Well, on a, on a travel job, I think that's especially good because you're probably all staying at the same hotel. So you can the night before catch up with people and that people are in a good mood. It's like, Oh, this is exciting. We're all on this job together, you know? Yeah, no, it's fun. We're staying at the Four Seasons Landscaping, which was... Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I've heard great things. Yes. But uh, yeah, well, I wanted to talk about Finding Style, too. I think we were running out of time for that. But I will talk about this other real short topic real quick. is Because I was shooting in Florida, uh, and I live in Los Angeles, they're three hours ahead of, of us. And because we had to film some very early things, like be filming... I mean, like my call time was at 4.15 a.m. Uh, I had to wake up at around 3.30 a.m., which is 12.30 a.m. in L.A., which is earlier than I usually go to sleep. I'm curious, like, do you have any, like, strategies to to hit those early call times, especially when you're traveling out of town? Yeah, I look, it's tricky. Uh, melatonin is the main one, honestly. I'll take a melatonin um, just to kind of help, which is it's just like, a, I guess, like a hormone, basically, that kind of... Uh, your body naturally creates when you go to sleep. So it's just a way of saying like, Hey, it's time to go to bed, buddy. That's my main move for jet lag. Uh, and then, you know, you just kind of do what you can try to get on that sleep schedule as early as possible in the event of like, that's a pretty extreme call time. That's really pretty darn hard. So, you know, you, as best you can try to train yourself that week in advance I, you know, what I really have a hard time with is when you're on a TV schedule and you're moving into fratter days. It waking up early is much easier for me than a night shoot. A night shoot is really hard. Is really hard. But but the other thing that I do, just in general, 
because I used to fall asleep. I'd fall asleep in movies all the time. Like I fell asleep in most of film school. Like it was a running gag with my friends, right? Like, oh, I, I'm spending, th- I'm going into a lifetime worth of debt to fall asleep in the middle of this movie. How fucking stupid is that? But I realized that the reason that I fell asleep in all of those weird places is because I wasn't getting enough sleep. I was a dumb college student who was like, oh yeah, I can, I get by on five and a half hours of sleep. And then as soon as it was moderately close to like good sleeping conditions, I conked out. So now I get eight hours of sleep. basically and then that's the move yeah 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 i think the like adjusting trying to adjust beforehand is helpful i just ended up doing it but i always like just wake up at like 2 a.m i'm like did i miss my alarm and then i can't fall asleep again um my wife was like do not look at your phone when you go to sleep (laughs) that's true too yeah that's true true and that's what the melatonin is helpful with you know I also, you know, in the last two years, I guess, I've like tried to really cut back on drinking and on a travel job, it's really tricky because like you're out like with different people and like, you know, it's a good opportunity to bond and stuff like that. But I find that alcohol really messes my sleep up. And so, uh, that's the other thing that's been, um, helpful for me. Yeah. We we were kind of the whole crew was like, should we have just like a couple beers and try to pass out like at ten p.m. <laughs> like yeah 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 uh, that that seems like such a good idea, but then you wake up at at twelve thirty basically, and you're like ugh yeah gotta pee yeah uh, drinkers dawn they call it yeah yeah well cool well if you out there have your own strategies for waking up at weird times and changing mm-hmm. your sleep schedule, feel free to to let us know. I'm curious, uh, my DP is doing this intermittent fasting thing and he was just all loopy on, you know, when lunch, you know, when you have like such an, like a 4 15 a.m. call time, your lunch is like yeah. at 10 a.m. or something. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he was, he was just all confused. Um, but cool. Well, yeah, I, hopefully, uh, we talked about something interesting here. We, we'd love to hear your thoughts on working with actors on putting together people that have never been together before last minute. Um, and on waking up early, how you do it. Uh, you can email us at just shoot it pod at gmail.com. Um, Matt, do you have time to join me for an unpaid endorsement? Ooh, I do indeed. Unpaid endorsements. There is a Twitter thread from a writer named Dan Hernandez. Uh, he wrote on, uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, Adam's Family 2. He's the showrunner on a couple of shows right now, and he worked on The Tick and 1600 Pen and a bunch of things. Um, and he had this thread yesterday about um, now that he, he is in the lucky situation where he sold two shows and he is reading a million scripts from people that want to be writers on those shows. And he had some tips for what you should do and he had a lot of advice on kind of the type of writing a, a one should do. And obviously you should write what you like and write what you are good at, but also what kind of variety you should have under your belt. You know, maybe you have like a grounded, underplayed, co- like dark comedy script, but also like an absurdist, like ridiculous family guy type comedy script and... Um, and he had some interesting thoughts on whether your spec script 
that you're writing or, you know, that your original script that you were writing should be producible or not. And he felt like it's nice. It's nice to see that a writer can write something really quite amazing and hilarious and good and, and, and intriguing that also feels to some extent producible. And of course he could not stress more the first three pages of the script just being really having to grab you because all these people that are trying to find writers are reading, you know, hundreds of scripts. Oh, and also that the people who he's reading are the best writers in Hollywood. Yeah. One other really interesting... Their competency level is already... So high. You know, they're all A-plus students, basically. Yeah. Right. One other interesting thing he said that I never thought about was that because you get kind of fatigue from reading so many scripts... You know, that's why the first few pages are important because when you're on your 50th script, if the first few pages aren't great, you probably aren't going to keep reading it. But he said uh, the first few scripts he reads, he does read the whole script. And so when you hear about an opportunity to have somebody read your script, he encourages you to get in there ASAP. So you're one of the first scripts uh, that's in and you have a better chance of getting read all the way through as opposed to one of the last scripts. That was an interesting piece of advice i would double down both that thread and then also uh following dan in general he's he does do a ton of like big like writer advice sort of um threads or anything it's not but he's a he's quite entertaining otherwise too so i recommend it yeah and his twitter handle is at cuban missile dh okay what do you got uh so i i keep a list uh just in case um and uh i've only got one thing on the list now and it just says the box. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> Do you have any guesses on what the box is? Uh, yeah, it maybe. Could, it could be are... an autocorrect. <laughs> maybe it's um, crew in a box, Ira Rosenzweig's product. But it's uh, maybe it's um, whenever you're stuck in a, a plot while you're writing and you maybe just have a box. <laughs> in the mm-hmm. scene that's and probably something it. in there yeah and uh yeah yeah Ta-da. You don't need to I know what it, it is out. well we'll see um i'll circle back if i figure out what the box <laughs> is um so instead i will endorse the film bad trip on netflix have you watched mm. this movie oren i don't think so it's the Isn't new it? eric andre lil oh it's no, eric no, no, andre no, and lil rel and tiffany mm. haddish you cannot watch it around children or or anyone who's easily offended because it is quite raunchy i put it on uh just to like check out the first 10 or 15 minutes of it and my wife and i watched the whole thing mm-hmm. and it's Did so she like far it? i would say the best she loved it also oh nice it's the uh best film of 2021 thus far it's a little early to call it but it's incredible it is very raunchy if you are easily offended do not watch this film but uh, i found it to be hilarious and just for people at home so basically it's uh it does this really incredible job of weaving a narrative kind of like borat weaving a narrative through a string of different pranks wherein lil rel and eric andre have scripted beats and moments but they've written it such that most of the movie takes place in the real world with people who are caught on camera witnessing terrible things happening to Eric Andre and Lil Rel, basically. It is quite graphic. It is very gross. It kind of seems like Jackass uh, meets Between Two Ferns the movie, but grosser than Yeah, which I didn't see Between Two Ferns the movie. Yeah, yeah. Jackass meets Borat, I would say, is is not a bad comparison, for sure. 
there's crazy pratfalls there's stunts there's a lot of male nudity tiffany haddish is incredible in it so that's my recommendation bad trip it's so funny cool i'll check it out also hey tickets to disneyland go on sale april 15th if you've been oh jones in for that and it's for california residents only i believe oh that's nice Another that's interesting nice. thing i found out during your endorsement <laughs> uh, any good tweets Did you read any good tweets while i was endorsing one no i guess not all right, man. Well, look, uh, if you have any endorsements or thoughts or anything, you can hit us up on social media at Just Shoot It Pod. Uh, we're across all social media there. There's some cool giveaways that we're talking about. I'm sure you've, you've heard the ads in this very episode, but um, that stuff as well. So if you go to uh, at Just Shoot It Pod for our Instagram, you'll be able to win some free stuff from our friends at Black Magic. That's pretty cool. Um, you can follow me at Mr. Matemo. I'm at O. Kaplan on Instagram. I'm at Smitey Pileg on Twitter. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Just shoot a pod at gmail.com. You can reach us anytime. Matt or I might respond to your email if we can. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our social media manager is Derek Aiello. Our consulting producer is Allie Kornfeld. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the Artist Jazar. And we will catch you all next time. Mm-hmm.